Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I don't think that ignorance is an excuse. If Erica were to walk into the store right now, I'd say exactly the same thing. Hi! Oh, hey, guys. You guys, are you really that afraid of me? No. I, I, I'm not sure you believe that Erica's not involved. Why is the paper saying that $20 million went into your LLC? Did you know any of this? Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. That was a clip from this week's The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which for my money was the best episode of the season thus far. It keeps getting better and better and elevating. And it was one of those episodes. I don't know if you guys ever do this. But while I was watching, I kept pausing it to see how much time was left. And every time I'd pause it, I'd get so excited because there was still a lot of time left. You know, because oftentimes Bravo does that to be continued work and we end in the middle of a juicy scene. But this week it was like every time I paused, we'd have half the episode left and I was just endorphins were flowing. I was so excited. It was so good. And I believe this week was sponsored by Xanax uh, for the Real House of Beverly Hills. I mean, we have a lot to talk about there, but it was flawless TV. I just thought it was the best. This season is unraveling, and I'm so grateful. Bravo to Bravo for giving us such a good season. And these ladies, we even had Teddy back this week, and I didn't even care. I was like, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? Bring her on in. This season's great. Who cares? Uh, it was so, so good. So we're going to be talking about The Real Houses of Beverly Hills. Uh, we got to talk about those Real Houses of Dallas cancellation and news bites. Also, The Real Houses of New York, which, you know, whatever. But before we get into any of that stuff, I do have to talk, uh, take a little detour. If you're not interested, just fast forward. Now, a couple months ago, I had gone home and visited my family in Ohio. And while I was there, I found a sketch pad. I've told you guys about the sketch pad before. It's a, a big old notebook that I kept around age 13, 14, 15. And I had previously told you guys on the podcast about a list I made in the sketch pad of movies that I wanted to take with me on my summer or spring break vacation. And at the top of that list was the movie called Stepmom, where Julia Roberts passes away. And I had said to you guys, what 13-year-old was begging his family to watch Stepmom on a vacation? Well, this boy was. Um, this boy was. And I want to tell you guys about a movie that I wrote in the sketchpad. Now, I didn't write out the whole movie. And I actually have a, a few movies in the sketchpad, and we'll get to all of them. But there was one movie that I wanted to share with you guys. And I have the summary. I don't have a title for this movie. We'll have to workshop that. But I do have a summary, a potential cast list, and then a tagline, which I can't wait to share. Um, so sit tight, little bear, because we're going to go on a ride with this movie that I wrote as a 13-year-old boy. Uh, okay, so here's the summary of the movie. A boy lives his life when his parents are gone and he was adopted by aunt. He falls in love with someone. It doesn't say girlfriend. It just says someone. <laughs> then after a visit with his doctor, he learns he will soon be dying too. He deals with the fact that his aunt knew all along and that he is in love and has to say goodbye. 
He grows to accept and be ready for death. Now that's super macabre, isn't it? That was the summary for this movie. Like, what the fuck was I writing that for? Was I just watching a lot of Tim Burton? Or maybe I just watched too many, uh, maybe I'd watch Stepmom one too many times. I mean, it's like very dark that I was writing this as like a, a fun movie in my, in my sketch pad. Um, and for the roles, I think I had told you guys about some of the casting ideas I had. I did want, uh, John Stamos or George Clooney as my dad. And then for the mom, I wanted either Sally Field or Demi Moore. <laughs> Girlfriend, I wanted Mandy Moore. And Freddie Prince Jr. was going to play my brother. Um, but this is the most important part. And this is the tagline. Now, just keep in mind this movie is about a young boy finding out his parents had died. Then he's finding out he's going to die from the doctor, which I didn't even work out how he was going to find out. Like, they didn't say, like, what did, why, what did the doctor tell you about how you were going to die? Unclear. Um, but the tagline I had for this movie was, sometimes you live without knowledge. Be glad you don't die without it. <laughs> Let me just repeat that tagline. Sometimes you live without knowledge. Be glad you don't die without it. This movie is so dark, you guys. And this whole, this whole sketchpad is a truly a wild ride. And again, I have so many different like movie ideas. There's also one movie idea I have in here that just it just says ghost parody with little kids. Now let me repeat that: ghost parody with little kids. Now I don't know why I was so dark as a child. I mean, obviously, you know, I had a lot of demons I was dealing with in terms of my sexuality. But other than that, I think I had a pretty happy childhood. However. At a time, I seemed to have been obsessed with death, and I wanted to write a movie that was a ghost parody starring little kids. And I'm talking about the movie Ghost with Whoopi Goldberg. You know, you and Danger Girl? That's what I was talking about. I had seen Ghost as a 13-year-old boy, and I was like, let's do that with little kids. Like, what? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. doesn't even make any fucking sense. What was I on? I really feel like I look back on the sketch and I'm like, what was going on in my head? Like, I really thought like I was just a nice, happy go lucky young Midwestern boy. And then you take a look in my sketch pad and it tells us a different tale. It tells the tale of Danny, who was real dark. And then, oh, meanwhile, I just also have to say that these movie ideas are between like sketches of like Shrek and Looney Tunes and shit. Like, there's just one. <laughs> There's one like really bad drawing of Shrek that I have in between these two things. And it's like, well, Shrek came out, I think, when I was 14. So that was 14. And, uh, you know, I don't understand. I don't understand how I could go from like, you know, writing a movie about everybody dying to like just some real weird sketch of Shrek. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, what the fuck? Anyway, I'll be sharing more with the sketch pad um, as time goes on. So just sit tight, little bear, because you got a lot of sketch pads coming. Um, but I'm going to try to space them out because I know not all of you are interested. Um, okay, so we get to the uh, Real Housewives news, you guys. Dallas. Dallas, rest in peace. Does anyone give a rip that Dallas is gone? They uh, apparently just announced that Dallas is no longer coming back for another season. There's no plans. That doesn't mean it won't be rebooted in the future. But there are currently no plans. Allegedly, this was reported by Variety, that... They had tested uh, some women and tried to do some filming, and they couldn't get the cast right. So they did apparently do some filming with Tiffany and DeAndra, and then three other women, and they couldn't figure out the cast thing, so they just decided to can it. And honestly, I think the writing was on the wall. Writing in the wall, whatever that saying is. 
Because last season, I truly think was real low point, not just for this show or this franchise, but as a society as whole. Because those women went and did like a Bigfoot excursion. Do you remember that trip when they were on the, they were seeing some Bigfoot man and like the main drama was that like somebody was rude to the Bigfoot man hunter or whatever. And it was just like a big hot mess. And then there was like salsa and Carrie put salsa in somebody's bed, which was so disgusting to see. I, I've never seen something so disgusting on the Real Housewives than when she threw that big ass thing, a Costco salsa into, I think it was Cameron's bed in that really like that, that, Wherever they were staying, which was just, it was all tough to watch. That whole last season of Dallas, you guys know, we recapped it here, but it was a big half like a mess. And it was a big flop. And you could tell, you could tell, like in the, in the cast trips and the budget of that show and everything that was going on, you could just tell Bravo was not interested. They were like, let's get out of this, this Dallas society because it's a big half like a mess. And so they did. They said, I know. And I think this is actually a really good thing for the franchise. Although I will miss Tiffany. I'll miss my Mama D. I don't really give a rip. I give a rip that Mama D's no longer on TV, but I have some ideas, maybe putting her on that Bravo chat room show, or if Andy ever decides to retire, maybe we put Mama D in that Watch What Happens live slot. I don't know. Spitballing here. Uh, but I think this is good because it'll keep all the other franchises on their toes. We're looking at New York right now, and it's really tough to watch. I think a lot of people agree the ratings are going down. And I think that it's good for Bravo to maybe say goodbye to a city. And I would love if Bravo said hello to another city. Let's say hello to Las Vegas. Let's say hello to Chicago. Let's say hello to Boston. We can say hello to new places and new women when we get the cast right. So that's what I hope they'll do. I don't think ultimately they have enough franchises going right now. So we're not going to really miss and where the fuck was going on in Dallas. Uh, but. I do think that all the other franchises, the Beverly Hills, the Potomacs, the Atlantas, the New Yorks, the Orange Counties. Orange County was dangerously close, I believe, to maybe getting the can or getting in the can in terms of what I mean is they were close to getting canceled. And so I think now they'll all be stepping up. They'll be like, oh, my God, we could get canceled. You know, New York ratings this season aren't that far off from the Dallas ratings last season. So, you know, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. You know, Miss Tiffany, I feel like she didn't really get a good shot at a good show. Some people are saying, put Tiffany on a Married to Medicine Dallas, which would be fine. But I just worry if they can't cast the Real Housewives of Dallas, it's going to be hard for them to cast the Dallas uh, Medicine show. So I worry. But I don't know. Maybe we get Tiffany Moon to Andrew, the mom, Mama D, somewhere else. Or maybe we just say goodbye. I don't know. Unclear. Um, okay, so we got to dive into this week's Real House of Beverly Hills. Oh, you guys, it was so good. We open all the women sitting down with that Sutton meeting. And it was really funny because they open and it's Christmas time. And I love seeing all the trees and decorations. But the camera was panning over a Dorit's tree. And it was on like a nutcracker. And then we saw like a close-up of a skiing snowman ornament. And then Sutton's talking about meeting with her attorney. And it was just a, a weird kind of... <laughs> it was just, a picture of a snowman skiing and then Sutton talking about her attorney and bamboozle Jane and all that stuff. Uh, but Sutton says she's protecting herself. She doesn't want to be a fair weather friend, but she also doesn't want to be associated with that LA times article that came out and Sutton's rich. She says, I want to stay clean. I don't want to be involved. And Rinna, we know does not care. Rinna sort of sticks up for Erica Jane in this scene. Uh, but Sutton, she says, people, Oh, this was a good quote in Sutton's confessional. She said, Ruth Madoff has zero friends. People don't like liars, cheaters, and stealers. Whew. 
you guys, I knew when I heard that from Sutton, I was like, this is going to be a good episode. And I was a little disappointed by the end uh, with a couple things, but not not about how good this episode was, but I was a little disappointed by how they all went about it with Erica Jane. Um, but look, Sutton's not Bamboozle Jane's friends. They just met. Okay, yeah, they went to that one uh, sauna together or whatever, but I don't think they're really close. And so I understood what Sutton was saying. She's like, I'm going to get out now, like, which I think is a healthy thing to do. You know, if you have a lot going on, Sutton's got her own issues she's dealing with. And so she don't need to be there for her friend, Erica Jane, who she doesn't really know that well. So I believe she was just like, okay, time for me to bounce. Like, this is okay. And I do believe friends, certain people come along for, what do they say? Certain people are in your life for a season or a reason. I don't know what that fucking saying is that they put on pillows. But the point is, I think it's okay for Sutton to say, hey, I don't want to be cool with Bamboozle Jane. She's got a lot going on. I do too. And I'm not interested in being caught up with these orphans and widows. Which, by the way, every time Dorit said, orphans and widows, <laughs> I got a little boost every time. They cut to her saying that like six times this episode. I swear it was like a lot. I was like, Dorit, did somebody just like tell her to say that? I mean, because the, the thing is, there's other things, uh, people, other victims of this crime. There's burn victims and all sorts of people. But Dorit just keeps focusing on the orphans and widows, orphans and widows. Anyway, the women are turning. Kyle, though, said she didn't read the article. She said, I couldn't read the LA Times article. It was too long. (laughs) That's funny. Kyle has a book. Let me just repeat that. Kyle's an author, but she couldn't read the LA Times article, which is comical to me. I mean, I know these people aren't writing their own books, (laughs) but it's hysterical to me that she's like, the article is too long. I couldn't read it. And I read it and it's not that long. You guys, like it wasn't like it was some 18 page expose. Like it was a decently sized article, but it wasn't, I don't know, like a term paper or something, (laughs) but I was just cracking up. It was too long. I just couldn't do it. It It's too long. I don't, I didn't read it. You guys, it was too long. And (laughs) Sutton took notes on it, but it's like, Kyle, you're an author. You you put out, I think Kyle might even have more than one book. I think she, I remember, all I really remember was like Kyle uh, photographing her book cover in her house. Remember with Porsches on it or whatever. She probably never re- read anything that was in that fucking book. <laughs> who wrote that book? We need to figure it out. I need, I need to figure out who that ghostwriter was on Kyle's book because... Uh, it's just hysterical to me that she couldn't read the article, but she has a book. I mean, that if that doesn't sum up this world of housewives, I don't know what else does. But, you know, God bless. I am loving Kyle this season. Um, but I just have to point out, she could not read it because it was too long. But they do talk about who else sought advice. And Dorit says, I too sought advice. And really, she was talking about that FaceTime with Boy George that she did. These women, these women are so, this is so stupid, this whole show, and I love it. I love it. Um, but she, so she, she sought her legal advice from Boy George, who I believe had a lot of legal trouble of zone, if I re- remember correctly. But, you know, Dorit, that was her counsel that she sought. Uh, look, Sutton said she thinks that Erica Jane lied. Kyle does agree regarding that ankle thing and the way Tom, like, I know, Tommy Two Tones tumbled out of that car and was like, against the tree and then called like they agree that story didn't make a fucking lick of sense and so that was good and the whole conversation i find like so thrilling sutton says i'm not buying the three-year package like in regards to that story that tom after that accident that's when he started to decline because she says the la times says it's been a decade that this is all going on 
And then I forget who said it. Somebody said they that Erica and Tom's lawyer probably talked. I think that was Sutton too. And I agree. I was like cheering through the screen. I was like, oh, you guys are putting it together. And what's so interesting is what they're really putting together in this scene. Like, let's just kind of break it all down. What they're all really talking about is like, are the fans of this show going to turn on us? Like, what should we do? Because at this point in the program, they all sort of just thought Erica was divorcing this man. And I think they all thought, okay, the audience is going to be on Erica's side because they're going to see she's like the victim of this divorce and like, you know, all that, that stuff. And so they're like, we have to support her so that we look like the supportive sisters. Well, now they're starting to realize in real time, like, uh-oh, she might have bamboozled orphans and widows. And I don't think most of these women, I'm not going to say all of them. I can't say all of them. You know, and may, what do I know? But I don't actually believe that any of them give a shit about the <laughs> about the victims here. I mean, I'd like to believe that they do. I'm not saying they don't, but I am implying it. Uh, but I do think they're more, maybe, I shouldn't say they don't care at all about the victims. That's horrible of me to say. But I do think they maybe care more about like the audience reaction to them in terms of how they're responding to Erica. Does that make sense? So I think uh, that's what they're all talking about. Like, should we support her? Because, you know, if it comes out that Erica did all this shady business, then they're going to look like trash for supporting her to the audience. And that's all they ultimately care about. So they're figuring that out in real time and talking about it. And that's what I love. That's what I love. And they're starting to turn in this scene. You know, some of the women are playing both sides for a reason. Cause then they're, I think Dorit, for instance, in this scene, she seemed to be turning on Erica. Uh, she said, you know, she didn't believe all this stuff, whatever. And same with Kyle. And then later they were like sort of afraid of Erica Jane. They didn't want to say anything. And I believe that they're playing both sides so that the editors can edit them like one way or another. And I don't think they realize like they would be edited uh, sort of in the middle, if that makes sense. I think they thought the editors would pick the right one for them. You know, like in my mind, Dorit's like texting the producers and the editors like after the episodes air. And she's like, can you edit the next one to make me look like I'm not siding with Erica? (laughs) So that's the that game I believe that they're playing. Uh, they even bring up Denise here, which it's like, finally, we're addressing the Denise situation because people go back and forth. Some people say it's hypocritical. These women were so after Denise about whether she munched on Brandy's box, excuse my language. And now they're not uh, really going in on Erica. And so it finally comes up and Rena says, look, I don't give a shit what anyone thinks about that, about the fact that I'm supporting Erica and I didn't support Denise. Rena says, I calls it like I sees it. And so, look, uh, maybe she knows something we don't. Maybe she sees something we don't. She is close with Erica. So I do believe in some world that Rena might know things that we don't know as the viewing public. Maybe she talked to Erica Jane and found out this is happening because of this or that happened because of that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Dorit does bring up, though, at this meeting, Tom misappropriates money for orphans and widows. Orphans and widows. Sutton points out, though, this is something I loved. She said, you got to choose. Are you smart or blissful? She says, I don't believe someone who's as smart as Erica also didn't know about any of this. And that's the thing I think we had talked about before. Bethany always says, you can't play smart and stupid. You got to pick one uh, because otherwise they both come across as false. So you guys, this is like, this is so good. All of it's so good. This legal stuff is really making this show good. I feel like. I feel like we're a murder mystery podcast at this point, you guys. (laughs) 
what what's one of those murder those shows do really well i feel like we've turned into a murder mystery podcast unlayering uh or uncovering the layers of bamboozle jane and tommy two tones that's what we should have called this um okay so then uh they talk about how kyle's going to do a christmas dinner and in Kyle's confessional, when she's talking about it too, they played like a really like mischievous Carol of the Bells background music. I just love that they added that little layer of, it sort of reminded me of like in Home Alone, you know, when Kevin is at the church right before he's going to uh, trick those those criminals. Why couldn't I think of the word criminals? Talking about Bamboozle Jane, I couldn't even think of the word, word criminals. But you know, in Home Alone, when they play that like mischievous Carol of the Bells right before he has... Uh, those criminals. And by the way, also, he doesn't get to eat his mac and cheese, which is always so upsetting to me. Kevin, he sits down to eat that mac and cheese that he makes, and he doesn't even take one fucking bite. There's nothing that angers me more in television or film than that moment when Kevin McAllister sits with his mac and cheese, and then the robbers come, and he's got to just leave his mac and cheese. He never got to eat it. And I don't even know how he had the energy to sustain himself with all those uh, stunts he had to pull with those robbers. You know, he had to feather them, he had to burn them, and all that shit. I mean, he had to do quite a bit on literally no fuel because he never got that mac and cheese in his mouth. At least to my knowledge, I never saw it. You know, maybe he took a bite in between burning the guy's hand, Joe Pesci's hand. Maybe he took a bite of the mac and cheese, but they didn't show it. I wish we would have gotten like one bite, you know, when Kevin's like running from one room to the next, maybe he just stops and has like a bite of mac and cheese because otherwise, I don't even know how he had the carbs to make it through that night. I mean, there was so much going on. I would get lightheaded. And even that one point where he has to like travel across the house to the treehouse, you know, and then the robbers go on that rope and then he cuts the rope. It's just a lot you have to be aware of in the moment without any resources, vitamins, minerals, energy um, from food. So, you know, good job, Kevin McAllister. And I wish they would have just shown him one bite or something or grabbing like a protein bar. You know, he should have had something in his pocket, payday or a protein bar, something, Kit Kat, give him a break on a Kit Kat. I mean, because there's a lot he had to do. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just went into that. Okay. So then, oh, Garcelle has a a Christmas uh, dinner with, uh, it looks delicious, all that food. Her son Oliver's there with his wife. She talks about Oliver. He's a drug addict, and he's got a family now, and she's so proud of him, and it was just a nice moment. And by the way, they really did some great food porn on this episode, so I just want to applaud Bravo for that, because all that food Garcelle made looked delicious, and all that food that Kyle pretended to make looked delicious, and I just was really appreciating all those close-ups, all those close-ups. Uh, then we see Dorit in hair and makeup. She calls Kyle, and they're on FaceTime together. And Kyle goes, oh, Teddy's coming to dinner. And Dorit said, I'm excited to see her. And I thought, no, you're not. <laughs> She's not. I thought she, I wrote in my notes, you're not. Um, then we, we cut to Kyle's Christmas dinner. And again, all the food looks good. And Kyle says, I don't want you guys making it look like they cooked because she's got the chefs there. And they were labeled chefs. I saw the title they put on these people, and they were labeled chefs. And Kyle said, I don't want you making it look like they did all the cooking because I did. She said, I don't let anyone touch my food. And that was, as Kyle was saying, I don't let anyone touch my food. The Bravo people put it over footage of somebody touching her food, like literally hands on the turkey carbonate. And that was shady, and I loved it. And look, I believe that Kyle's a good cook. She does strike me as someone who's a good cook. But do I believe that she did that whole meal and that she wouldn't let the chefs that she hired touch it? No. And I did feel bad for those chefs, too, because I was thinking they came in. That's their profession. They came in and are 
cutting your food, and regardless of the fact if they like put it in the oven, which I believe that they did, it still felt like Kyle was disregarding all the work that they did that they were hired to do and making it seem like she did all that fucking work. And I, I just don't believe it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, all of Kyle's family went to Colorado, which means there's going to be a lot of leftovers because that was a lot of fucking food. A lot of food. But everyone arrives at Kyle. She reveals a story about her uncle being dressed as Santa and then like went and banged on their rooms. That was a weird, that was a weird little story. I didn't even quite understand it, but I do like the idea of Kathy like hiding in a room away from her uncle Santa who's banging on the door trying to get in. She's like, get the fuck out. Kathy's not interested in that. Okay, so everyone arrives, Teddy arrives, and I even at this moment, I was like sort of excited to see Teddy. I'll be honest. I know that's not a popular opinion, but there was like a tiny little part of me that I thought, oh, okay, I'm ready to check in with Teddy. However, it did make me laugh when we were checking in with Teddy. She came to the house, and then she starts talking about her kid. And I think we all sort of, that was like a one thread about Teddy's life that I think we were all like, oh, I'm curious what happened there. And they showed it to us in a flashback. So Kyle had met with Teddy earlier, and they didn't even use the footage in real time. Like, Bravo didn't even want to play it. <laughs> they literally caught us up with Teddy in 24 seconds. Like, I, I think I timed it. Was I think it was like 24 seconds. That was like as much time we got to catch up with Teddy. And it just cracked me up because Bravo was like, okay, we should update the audience on what was going on with Teddy. And they were like, we'll give her 23 seconds. <laughs> I mean, it was good. But uh, yeah, for a moment, I was excited to see her. And then there was like a flashback of Faye. And I was like, I would have rather had Faye at this dinner. You know, I miss Faye. They give us one Faye moment a season. And I was like, where's Faye? Where's Faye? Garcelle wasn't interested in seeing Teddy either. Garcelle said, she's annoying for no reason, like a little gnat. (laughs) That was so mean. That was so mean of Garcelle. I didn't even know Garcelle didn't like Teddy, but it was just funny to me of all people to like not care for Teddy in the confessional, it was Garcelle. Because, you know, I know some of the other women, Dorit and Teddy always had a thing that where they didn't seem to like each other. And now it was just Garcelle being like, I don't fucking like Teddy. And then when Sutton saw Teddy, she's like, oh, so good to see you. And, and literally everyone was lying. I mean, every single person walked through the door was like, oh, here's Teddy. Oh, I missed you. When Dorit walked in the door, she's like, hello, Mama Sita. Mama Sita. I was like, when is why is Dorit calling Kyle Mama Sita? Oh, the best part about Dorit arriving, though, this was so good. So Dorit couldn't get in the door. Like, she couldn't, didn't know how to work the door handle, right? Like, and I believe that that door was unlocked. That's what I'm choosing to believe. And all the women are like, why isn't Dorit coming in the door? And Dorit's like, can somebody let me, can somebody let me in? You know, she was like banging, like, somebody let me in. And it, she just wanted somebody to unlock the door. So then later in the episode, when Erica Jane arrived, Erica Jane just opened the door herself. And you could see the wheels turning in Dorit's head. And I believe this was a wake-up call for Dorit. I think that Dorit in that moment decided that Erica Jane was actually guilty. The fact that Erica Jane was able to open the door so smoothly, in Dorit's mind, I think she was thinking, oh my god, Erica's so smart. She's so intelligent. She is very aware and intelligent and smart. And so I think that was the moment actually that Dorit turned on Bamboozle Jane because she was able to get in the door and Dorit was not. Does that make sense? I believe that was the turning point for Dorit. Although later in the episode, she wasn't giving us what we wanted her to give us. Uh, But later in the season, I do think that 
Dorit will will change her mind about all this Erica Jane stuff, and she will turn completely on Bamboozle Jane. And the Bravo editors can show us a flashback of Dorit not getting in that door and Erica Jane getting in there so easily. That's that's it. That I just solved the I solved the thing. Kath shows up too, and Kath, you guys, she said, "I'm ready to have a gorilla." And this was another Kathism. And they showed us a little side-by-side of Kath and Kim, who I miss Kim dearly on this show. And I do believe that Kim was the original Kath. And they have very similar personalities. I don't quite understand how Kyle grew up in a household with both Kath and Kim. But she did. And so Kath was talking about, I think Kath was saying, like, you know when you say, uh, have a cow, man. Or wasn't that like a Simpsons saying or something? Have a cow? I think that's what Kathy, like, meant. But she said have a gorilla, and then she said in her confessional, she's like, it's like having a chicken or having a horse. And the producer's like, what the fuck are you even talking about, Kathy? Like, I swear those producers, I'd love to know what's going through their mind when they're interviewing Kathy for these confessionals. I love her. I love her. Okay, so then, let's see what else is going on. Crystal arrives, and she's got the boobies out, and Dorit says, there's a lot of boob, baby! She said baby like Austin Powers. You guys, I swear, Dorit's turning more and more into Austin Powers as we go on. I know earlier this season I said she was like a Power Ranger, but I swear one next week she's going to be saying to PK, shag me now or shag me later, baby. What was the... <laughs> what was that? those Austin Powers catchphrases? I was in middle school when that came out. And I swear, everybody did an Austin Powers impression. I, it was like Borat. When Borat came out, remember, everyone's like... My wife, you know, everyone's doing it. And then with Austin Powers, though, it was even worse. It was like every fucking line that Mike Myers delivered in that movie, everybody was saying every fucking second. Ah, I was so sick of it. I was walking around middle school trying to quote uh, stepmom. (laughs) I'm in gym class trying to get people to talk about that stepmom scene where Julie Roberts confronts Susan Sarandon about her dying and says, look down the road to her wedding. I'm in a room alone with her, fixing her veil, fluffing her dress, telling her no woman has ever looked so beautiful. And my fear is she'll be thinking, I wish my mom was here. And then Susan Sarandon says, and mine is, she won't. You know, like I was giving those quotes while everyone else was like, yeah, baby. (laughs) Oh, man, but everyone was doing, Dorit's doing awesome powers every week for us. All right, let's take a quick break here and we'll come back with more recap of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. All right, I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate because every time there's a commercial break and I'm watching one of my shows, I'm always hopping on the Redfin app or website because I just want to check out real estate listings. Like, I love checking out real estate listings, even for the houses that I cannot afford. It's my favorite app to use Redfin. Uh, I just got a home, of course, but it was a pretty stressful process. And if I would have known how easy Redfin was, I think it would have helped out a lot. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. See something you like? Well, book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, making it so easy. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents with a listing fee as low as 1%. Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards your next home. 
Now, that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. Uh, okay, so then Erica finally arrives after everyone, again, gets in the house. They all sit down. Erica seemed really subdued. Because she's been seeing really subdued every episode. And I don't know if she's just like so past the point of exhaustion that she has no energy uh, or if it's something else. Maybe it's like Xanax or something. You know, I don't know that anything is um, being taken. It just seems like she's a much more subdued Eric than I'm used to. And then even when the women were sort of confronting her at the table, it seemed like she wasn't reacting in the normal Erica way. Like normally we know she's going to snap. And there was one moment where she kind of like almost seemed like she was giving us a little snapping performance. Uh, but it was much more scaled back, much more scaled back. And again, maybe she was just over all this shit. You know, there's a lot going on in Bamboozle Jane's life. So maybe that's it. Um, but they do all sit down for dinner. And I do have to say, I love the moment when Kyle was really pissed at Dorit for not taking stuffing or mashed potatoes. And I felt the same. I mean, all those stuffing and mashed potatoes, which are some of the best foods on earth. You know, stuffing's really just bread, and uh, it's flavored, moist bread, and I think there's nothing better than that. And mashed potatoes, who doesn't love a mashed potato? Nothing better than a mashed potato. I mean, all that food is making me hungry for Thanksgiving, Christmas food, all of it. And uh, Kyle was pissed. She got all that food catered and or made herself, and Dorit didn't take any of the good stuff. I was pissed at her. And then, okay, so I was so excited for them all to sit down and really like say all the stuff that they've been feeling about Erica that we saw earlier in the episode and last week, all the things that they wanted to confront Bamboozled Jane about. And they all sit down. Kyle immediately does a toast where she thanks Erica. You guys, she thanked her. She thanked her. She thanked her. She thanked Erica. She thanked her for coming. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, what the fuck? Kyle, like you just all told us in a scene earlier that as soon as you see Erica, you're going to ask her all these tough questions and you don't believe the story about her, uh, Tommy Tutone's falling down the hill, breaking his ankle, whatever the fuck that story was. And you're going to confront her. And then now we see you sit down and you don't even say anything. You give her a toast. Not only do you just not say anything, but you also are like dedicating the dinner to her. Like, what the fuck was that? I was so mad. <laughs> like she did a fucking toast. And that's the problem I do believe in Beverly Hills, you know, and Salt Lake City, which, by the way, earlier this week, I did recap the Salt Lake City trailer. Salt Lake City trailer for season two just came out. You guys, it looks really good. We got a lot going on. Meredith Marks is engaging. Uh, There's a lot of questions about Mary and her cult and whether or not she knows it's a cult. I don't know if she knows. That's Dolly Parton singing Mary, did you know? I added it back to the soundboard for Mary. Uh, anyway, Mary, uh, whether or not she's in a cult, there's a lot of good stuff going on there. But what I like about Salt Lake City, in the trailer at least, it seems like all the women are not afraid of the Jen Shaw stuff, not afraid to say something to Jen Shaw. And here on Beverly Hills, it's like all the women feel one way, but they're all afraid of Erica Jane. And I get it. I would be too. But I want my housewives not to be afraid. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I was in that situation, I for sure would be afraid. Like, I wouldn't say any. I'm a Libra. I would just keep the peace at dinner. I mean, I I wouldn't say. I would talk behind their backs like uh, God intended. I mean, I don't need to be confronting everybody on a show. That's why I'm not on a show, though. I need my housewives to have more balls than me. And I need them to confront each other on camera for my viewing pleasure. 
That's what I expect. So on Beverly Hills, they're all just so scared. Sutton sort of, I, I will say Sutton and Garcelle did step up to me. Sutton said, were you truly blindsided? Eric Jane says, I don't have access to lawsuits before they hit press. And then Sutton brings up the LA Times and the three-year thing came up. Eric Jane's just st- sitting there, like, really stone-facing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm giggly. I'm giggly today. Um, Sutton says, look, the you told us it was three-year thing, but the burn victim was ten years ago. And then Sutton says, see, I did my homework. Ah, oh, you guys, when Sutton said, see, I did my homework, I thought, that was good. That was good. That was good. And then Dorit sort of starts sticking up for Erica Jane. And then Garcelle says, that's not what you said the other night. Oh, I was living. I was living when Garcelle said that. And by the way, Garcelle and Dorit are not getting along. We saw it in the previews for next week that they get into something. But apparently in real time, they're not speaking either. Garcelle had given some interview where she said she's got to confront Dorit on some things. You guys, lots of good stuff. Lots of interesting stuff going on. Dorit says, let me finish. Let me finish. And Dorit's always saying, let me finish. I feel like that could be her catchphrase, too, because every time Dorit starts talking, you know, all the women have told her before in this show that she trails on and on and it takes her forever to get out of thought and all that stuff. And so I feel like Dorit is constantly saying, let me finish. And it's like, Dorit, spit it out. Like, we don't have time to wait for you to get this monologue in. Like, we need you to give an opinion quick so we can move on to somebody else's opinion. That's how TV shows work. Um, but Dorit just is always like, let me finish. But I was happy that Garcelle said, like, that's not what you said, because that's what I was feeling. We were all sitting there thinking, all these women had so much to say. And then Rena was sort of like sticking up for Erica Jane. I, I don't know. I didn't like that either, because I felt like Rena was like sitting there with Sutton and all the rest of them for that big meeting they did. And now Rena was like going hard for Erica Jane. And it just felt to me like Rena had a, had a conversation with Erica Jane before then. Which, good, they're friends, I get it, but I don't know. Erica Jane does ask, like, who here got a who here got a legal opinion? And then Dorit says, I spoke to my husband. And it was like that one FaceTime with Boy George. <laughs> Kyle says she asked Faye's husband. And she said Faye's husband told us not, not to worry. And I thought, I don't know. I've never met Faye's husband on this show. But I would like to see him. Why don't we have Faye on here? Have they never tried to get Faye? I don't even want Faye as like a main housewife. I just want her as like a full-time friend of the way that Kathy Hilton is on all the trips. Like, let's bring Faye in here. Come on. Faye's a good person to have around. She's messy, I think, without being too messy. Do you get what I mean? Like, she falls somewhere in between like a Kyle and a Brandy Glanville. To me, Faye's like in the middle of that, which is the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot for me. So let's get Faye. Let's get her in there. Uh, Erica asks everyone, are you afraid of me? And Sutton says no, but really she was lying. They're all afraid of her. Sutton brings up the $20 million LLC and Erica just sort of stares off into the distance. There was one moment Erica was staring and I was like, does she even know where she is? Like she seemed like totally checked out of the scene. I feel like, I don't know. She was looking off at a wall somewhere and I don't know what she was going through her head, but she wasn't paying attention to the scene work. And then Erica eventually says, that's another question we'll have to uncover. And Garcelle pointed out in her confessional that Erica doesn't seem to have any anger towards Tom. And if Tom is putting her in this position, wouldn't she have some anger? Garcelle sh- says she needs Perry Mason. We need Angela Lansbury, who we really need. That's who would solve this. That's who would solve this. Or Megan King Edmonds. They're one and the same. <laughs> They're all one and the same. Perry Mason, 
uh, Murder, She Wrote, and Megan King Edmonds. They're all experts in their field of detective work. <laughs> um, oh, Sutton says, I have several LLCs. And Erica says she was kept away from the books. And Sutton's like, well, weren't they in your name? And it's like, yeah, they were in your name, so you shouldn't have been kept away from the books. And again, I just have to say, like, that's no ex- I mean, Sutton said, ignorance is no excuse. And then uh, Dorit says that line from the trailer. She says, orphans and widows, it makes you feel sick. And then Erica says, no one knows the answer to any of this but him. But it's like $80 million. I don't know. Dorit says, it was a matter of what you knew and if you were complicit. And that made Erica mad at Dorit. And that's when Dorit kind of got scared. You know, she shit her pants a little bit. Like, I think Dorit needed a diaper. Because after she said that line, she could realize that she pissed off Erica. And that's when the poop came out of Dorit. And she's like, okay, let me take that back. And she started defending Erica again. And the layers of all of this, though, this like whole group just deciding whether or not to back Erica Jane, you guys, it's so layered, so wonderful, and so interesting and so fascinating. Teddy did speak up. She said, uh, everyone's making it about them when it's not about them. And I was like, okay, time for Teddy to mosey on out of here, because... I need them all to make it about them. That's what makes a good housewife. So I was really upset with Teddy in that moment. You know, earlier in this podcast, when I said I was excited to see Teddy, I take that back. I take that back. Okay, so then they all say it's awkward. They decide to end the conversation, but not before Garcelle says that her sister had a bad kidney transplant and a lawyer didn't give the money that she owed. So Garcelle says, fuck Tom. She says, fuck Tom. And honestly, I like that. I like that about Garcelle. She's really given it to me. I think Garcelle's having such a good season. God, I love her. Such a good season. And remember last season, everyone was saying, like, Garcelle's not filming enough. She's not in the group scenes enough, all that stuff. And then this season, she had gotten that job on the reel. And I think a lot of us worried she's not going to be filming as much. But I feel like Garcelle's filming more than the rest of them. And she's given us so much. Like, I want Garcelle to get a raise. I'm so happy with her work this season. I mean, all around, I like her individual scenes with the family and the food, and I like what she's given in group scenes. She's given us a lot of face work, a lot of reaction shot work. Oh, she's doing good. Good job, Garcelle. Give her a raise. Give her a raise. Oh, they do end this whole sit-down with the victims need to be taken care of. And Erica keeps saying, I agree. I agree. But here's the thing. It feels like it's all these women at the table who are saying, like, the victims are the real victims, right? They're saying the the orphans and widows are the real victims here. And Erica does say in this moment, finally shows some empathy for these victims. She does say, I agree, I agree. But to me, it's like I wish she showed a little more empathy. Because the argument has been Erica can't acknowledge these victims, right? Because there's all this legal stuff going on. But we see in the scene that she does acknowledge these victims. Like, she does say, I agree, the victims. She does say that. But she doesn't show us, like, any emotion or say anything else. It feels like all these other women are saying these things. And to me, if she's allowed to acknowledge them that much, I feel like she could still say that she agrees, but, like, show me a little bit of emotion. And again, she wasn't showing much emotion this whole episode, so maybe she just had no more emotion left to give. But I feel like Erica could have said that exact same sentence. She could have said, yeah, I agree, the victims need to be taken care of. Like, just that little sentence. She could have said with, like, some sort of emotion, because I'm reading her body language and her face and everything, it's just, it's given me no empathy towards these victims. And so I think that's a lot of the disconnect for people watching this show, because we do want to believe Erica Jane. We want to believe that she didn't know any of this, 
in that she's also a victim, obviously not as much of a victim as these orphans and widows, but that she is a victim to all of these Tommy Two-Tone schemes. But when we don't see any sort of emotion, it's hard to get on her side when it comes to the orphans and widows, because we've seen the big emotion when it comes to other Tommy Two-Tones drama, like when she was on that hill with Kyle and or, or on that hike with Kyle and she was crying, the mascara was running. We've seen the emotion, but we haven't seen anything near that kind of emotion when it comes to these uh, the real victims. Does that? I, I don't know if I'm making sense. Eventually, Rena just says, I can see how tired you are. And, you know, yeah, okay. They also said a prayer, too. They, did you see they all, Dorit, like, led them in a prayer. Like, Sister Dorit, all of a sudden, leading them all in a prayer. Like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> I mean, uh, great, but I've never seen Dorit, uh, even in the slightest bit religious. And then here she was leading a group prayer. I mean, I guess... God bless. Next week, oh, we get what I've been waiting a lifetime for, which is Kath and Kyle sitting down to talk about American Woman. Oh, I can't wait, you guys. That looks good. I mean, yeah, give me all this Eric Jane stuff, but I also want to know the drama between the American Woman, Kath, Kyle, Kim stuff. I need it. I need it. Anyway, it looks great. Also, we get a little Dorit versus Garcelle, it seems to uh, happen. Dorit calls Garcelle a bully. You guys, it looks like it's going to be good. It looks like it's going to be good. I cannot wait. That's this week's Real House of Beverly Hills. We're going to get into uh, this week's Real Housewives of New York. Uh, before we do, I want to say please find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino, Twitter and Instagram, and everythingiconic.store for all of the Everything Iconic merch. And let's uh, get into New York. You're not that mind deaf as we are. All right, it's time for my Real Houses of New York recap. What the fuck? Also, I like Luann Selena shirt. All right, and that's the episode, you guys. Thank you for listening to everything. No, I'm just kidding, you guys. But that's basically my recap for the Real Houses of New York. I don't have much to get into. I mean, that whole stuff at the beginning, the whole dinner at Archie's house. Ramona was so rude. Sonia was also... I mean, Sonia pissing in the person's driveway. I mean... They showed that in the flashback, and I, it's just like, Sony even yelling to me was very uncomfortable. And I know we're all focused on the Ramona of it all, and she was a nightmare horror monster. I get it. Like, she was just the worst of the worst. I mean, Ramona, this episode, so childish, it was just painful. Painful. The last, every week, really, but this week in particular was just painful to watch. But Sonia also pissing in the driveway, you guys, that was hard to watch. And then even that scene later with, with Ramona and Luann. When Luann was wearing that Selena shirt, though, that was the real high point of me. That Selena, it was sort of a weird sweatshirt. Like, I loved it, but it was like a turtle. I couldn't tell if it was a turtleneck underneath or if it was uh, attached all at one. And the sleeves had sort of like stars and moons on it. And then it was Selena. I thought it was just like stunning and weird, um, but I wanted it so bad. I don't know. I, we got to figure out where she got it. I love that was the real high point of the episode to me. But that whole sit down was also very uh, uncomfortable with Ramona. You know, I wrote in my notes. I, I took notes for this episode, you guys, but it's just like a lot of me complaining. And, you know, I don't really want to. I don't really want it. I mean, Sonia yelling. I feel like I could do like a Sonia yelling impression and maybe we'd all have some laughs. But I find it all really sad when she was yelling about what do you do on a daily basis to help somebody and. Look, she was what she was saying was right when she was yelling at Ramona, like, don't shush me, stop your social climbing, find a fucking purpose. She kept yelling. That was all spot on in a lot of ways, but it was so uncomfortable for me to watch that drunk side of Sonia 
I just felt, un- I-, I-, I don't know if I, maybe I just have a, th- I'm like a little triggered by like that level of drunk that we keep seeing out of Sonia where it doesn't seem like she's in control. And then I- on these housewife shows, I've often liked watching these women get drunk and it's like fun. And I think to me, when it feels like there's a problem, when you feel it, when you're watching it and you feel icky, I think that's maybe some of you guys thought it was really fun and everything. And I hope all is good with Sonia and everything, but the shouting and stuff was, I don't know. It all made me, and then the Ramona of it all too. It was just overkill for me. Again, I love a cringe moment on any of these shows and I usually find it super funny and everything, but I, I didn't this week. They did have, there was a funny little moment between Lou and Ramona where like they had an I'm home alone moment. And that made me laugh. Like Ramona just acting like she was Kevin McAllister. I mean, we talked about him earlier, but here was Ramona in this week talking about Kevin McAllister. Also, Luann had like money sign earrings. Look, I don't even know what else to say about it. There was a scene with Leah and her daughter and Rob. And I guess that was nice to see. Like Leah had been off for a couple weeks because she got COVID. And so she's been sort of FaceTiming in the episodes, but finally she was cleared to film again. I don't know, guys, what's happening on this show. I mean, they certainly aren't filming. Something's happened. I mean, they're doing a show. They're putting on a show. But what the fuck? (laughs) I hope next season we get it together. Hopefully they'll add people to the cast. People will be asking me, like, what do you think should happen with The Real Houses of New York? And I actually think without COVID, and if we added three, at least, I think we need at least three more full-time housewives to the cast. At least I don't want to hear seven. I need eight housewives for this city after what we've been through this season. Eight. You hear me, Bravo? <laughs> I love you, Bravo, but we need you to open up, uh, loosen up the purse strings a little bit, and we need you to hire eight cast members for next season. I need eight full-time cast members. Eight. 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 I don't know how many times I need to say that. You know, it's not up to me. I love you, Bravo, but we we need you to do eight because seven is too few. And after what we've been through with these five women this season in COVID, I think maybe it's time for Ramona to go and we need to add some people. But even if they decide not to get rid of Ramona, we still need to add three people. And then I would also like some friends of, you know, I would also like some side characters to pop in and in a more full-time capacity. Like Brashawn is sort of a friend, but it didn't seem like they knew she was a friend. Ebony even gave an interview where she said, like, I didn't even know if Brashawn was like an actual cast member or if she was just like there. And she, Ebony had said in her interview with Variety, uh, which was done by Kate Arthur. You guys check it out. It was great. But Ebony had said she, they didn't even tell her she would ask production, like, is she a cast member or not? And like, nobody gave her a straight answer. She said, which doesn't make any sense. Like we need, we need those uh, part-time cast members. Everyone needs to know that they're part-time cast members. Um, so I would like there to be eight full-time cast members. Just add a bunch of people. And I think without COVID, I think we'd have a good season. You know, I don't think Leah's having the greatest season this year, but I, I do think that Leah could come back for next season and maybe have a better season. I don't know. Maybe I'm totally off base here, but this is not We're at, we're this is bad. This is bad. In the words of Bethany and Dorinda, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. And I need you all to acknowledge that. It's bad. It's bad. I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily, I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now, Cozy is fantastic. A North American company that 
thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now, Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now, Cozy offers a beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y, dot com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So you guys, uh, that's it uh, for this week's show. Uh, I love you all. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned uh, for next week's shows. As always, I love you all so much for listening. Shall we do our little cool down, our little breathing exercise, our cheesy little moment at the end of the show uh, to have a moment uh, where we all kind of wind down? Let's take a deep breath in and start to disengage. That's why I think I'm going to have to disengage. (laughs) Everyone, uh, breathe out and start to disengage with your troublesome thoughts and with the stressors of the world. Just start to disengage with those. Take another deep breath in. Hold it. Breathe out. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. And try your best as you go about the week to disengage. And there's banging. They're still doing construction. Do you guys hear that? Here I am trying to do a peaceful little cool down and they're still banging on my fucking wall. Uh, I need to disengage with these construction workers that are working in the apartment above me. It's literally a nightmare. I hope uh, it wasn't too distracting this episode. Maybe you guys can't even hear it, but I can hear it. Um, anyway, I love you all so much. Bye-bye.